If you would, open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll read the first 11 verses. And after I read this, Jonathan, would you come lead us in prayer, please? Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. All right, John, come lead us in prayer, if you would, please. Let's pray together. Our holy heavenly Father, we thank you for drawing us here together today and, and, and pray that you be with us, that we may be enabled to, to praise and, and worship your holy name. We pray that you leave us not to ourselves in, in this worship service. Surely we'll, we'll stray. We, we repent and, and, and bow before you, before your throne, humbly, repenting of of who we are, our, our nature that is, is so rebellious and wants to be seen of our own merit. And, and indeed, Father, we, we repent of, of our heart that God help us, help us, that our, our heart wants to knock you off your throne. And Father, I, I pray that you see us always and only in Christ because of Christ's work, his his satis the, the satisfactory sacrifice that how he lived and died and, and even now maketh inter intercession for sinners, for your people. We're so thankful for his accomplished work and, and, and the fact that, that you've seen fit to draw us here today to, to worship you in, in his name. I pray that you be with us and be with our pastor as, as he preaches that, that this time not be in vain, but rather that it truly be a word for, from you. And, and be with us as we hear. Give us, give us hearts. Uh, increase our faith, Father. And, and be with us that we can worship you in, in spirit and in truth. Father, remember that, that we're dust. And we're a needy people. 
so many, so many trials, the, the cares of this world. We, we thank you for our jobs. We thank you for providing for us. And, and I pray that you remove that from our minds at this, at this time, the, the, this physical world, and, and rather let us enable us to, to focus and, and worship you. Be with us through these trials. Whether we be in a time of, of, of comfort, don't let us stray from you and trust in ourselves. If we be in a, in a time of, of trial, Father, hold us dear. Don't let us wander. Don't let us turn from you, but rather use this trial to, to prove our faith and, and, and to increase and, and draw us ever more, ever more to you. We thank you for the, the, the classes this morning. We pray for the children as, as they get ready to, to start school again, that, that you be with them and guide their paths. We pray for those congregations everywhere across the world, even now, that, that, are, that are meeting. That you bless your, your message as, as you see fit. Call sinners to repentance and, and strengthen the saints. Comfort your people. Glorify your name according to your will. We pray this thankfully in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles back to Philippians chapter 3. This will be our jumping off point this morning. I want to take a break from our series that we've been doing on questions that are asking Scripture. Because I feel led of the Lord to bring a message this morning that has been very, the subject has been very, very, very heavy on my heart recently. I've entitled the message, Give Me Christ or Else I Die. It's so important for us to know Christ that we'll perish if we do not know him. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. It's so important for us to know Christ that if we don't know him, we will perish in our sin. You don't know how desperately I do not want any of you to perish in your sin. And I sure don't want it on me because I didn't tell you the truth. We will perish. We'll die in our sin if we don't know Christ. So give me Christ or else I die. There's no forgiveness of sin, no mercy, no salvation, no acceptance with the Father unless I know Christ. So give me Christ or else I die. This is just of the utmost importance. You just cannot overstate the importance of knowing Christ. Now I know that there are other things that we need to live in this world. I'm not saying those things aren't important. What I'm saying is they have their level of importance compared to knowing Christ. You know, those things are important. Our Lord recognized that, didn't he? How did he teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. He knows that we need these daily provisions of, of this life. That's why he taught us to pray that way. But you'll notice the Lord also reminded us he already has knows, he already knows that we have need of these things before we ask. So he told us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, I don't want to trade knowing Christ. I don't want to trade a time of worshiping Christ. I don't want to trade 
a time where I can learn more of Christ just so I can gain temporary things of this life that I'm going to leave behind anyway. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. You know, I think it's a good question for us to ask ourselves frequently. Why do I come here? Why do I come here to this place on Sundays and Wednesdays? Why do I come here? Is it so I have friends and I can fellowship with them? You know, this is my socialization. Well, I'd like to have friends and I'd like to fellowship with those people. And certainly we ought to find that here in God's church, shouldn't we? But I tell you, by God's grace, I'm not going to compromise the gospel in order to have friends. By God's grace, I'm not going to do it. I'd like to have friends. I'd like to have fellowship with people. But I cannot live without fellowship with Christ. I cannot live without him. I cannot live without the fellowship of his sufferings. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. I want to have a correct knowledge of doctrine and scripture. I want you all to have that. I, you know, how, how can, how can we know Christ if we're hearing a lie preached unless we're hearing the truth preached? I want to have a correct knowledge of doctrine and correct knowledge of scripture, but I need a whole lot more than that. The Pharisees had a knowledge of what the scripture said, didn't they? They had a, they had a knowledge of how you're supposed to, you know, conduct yourself, how you're supposed to conduct your worship service, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. They, they had a, an understanding of that, but they missed the meaning of the scripture. They missed Christ. I need a knowledge of Christ because knowing him is life eternal. If I know Christ, I'll gain an understanding of the scriptures because they all speak of him. But I won't have a true understanding of the scriptures. I won't have a true understanding of the gospel if I don't have Christ. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. When we come here, it is my desire every single time that we're not just having a show of religion. Now, I want us to have a well-ordered you know, worship service. I want us to have a true worship service. But I don't want to just have a, a show of religion. I don't want to say, well, we've checked off all these boxes, so that means you know we, we've done everything right. You know, a well-ordered worship service can be Self-righteous idolatry if we're focusing on the order of the service and not on Christ. It's just self-righteous idolatry. That's all that is. Give me a simple building with just a few people without, you know, all the, the fancy, you know, costumes and get up of, of religion. Give me a people to meet with whose heart's desire is Christ. That's where I want to be. You know why? Because that's where Christ is going to be. That's where I need to be. Give me Christ or else I die. That's what David said in picture in our opening reading there in 1 Samuel 21. He says, there's none like that sword. Give it me. There's none like the word of God. Give it me. There's none like the written word. Like Paul told Timothy, preach the word, Timothy. There's none like it. And there's none like Christ, the incarnate word. Give him me. Give me Christ or else I die. Now that's what's been on my 
heart and mind very heavily in the past weeks. I searched the scriptures and I found five points that I want to give this morning on give me Christ or else I die. The first one is found here in our opening text, Philippians chapter 3. Give me Christ's righteousness or else I die. Verse 7, Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, not trying to earn a righteousness through keeping the law, but that righteousness which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now all these things that Paul counted as dung, they're the works of the law that Saul of Tarsus did, trying to earn his own righteousness. And he's not whistling Dixie. Saul did those things. Outwardly, Saul of Tarsus did those things. But they were outward. And all those things, Paul now realized later, could not make him righteous. Because his works even though he was outwardly obeying the law, were full of sin because of the motive. The motive wasn't obedience to God. The motive was self-glorification. What? Self-righteousness. This is what I've done. Look at me. And that's why he now counted them as horse manure. The only way we can be made righteous is what Paul says here, the righteousness, the faith of Christ. The faithfulness of Christ to obey God's law for me. In my place, as my representative, he was faithful. Not only outwardly, but in his motive, in his heart, out of love for God, out of the desire for the glory of God. Christ's obedience, his faithfulness, the, to do everything that it took to make his people righteous. That's the only righteousness that there is. And being found in Christ, that's the only way I can be made righteous, is by being in him. That's why Jeremiah the prophet called, called the coming Messiah Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. I say this so many times, righteousness is not a thing. Righteousness is not just a legal state before God. Righteousness is a person. Christ is our righteousness. And if sinners like you and me would be made righteous, we must have Christ. We must. Give me Christ. Or else I die. Jonathan, give me Christ. Give me Christ. I don't want to just know about Christ. I don't want to just know doctrinal facts about Christ. I want to know Christ. Like a wife knows her husband. I want to be joined to Christ. So that I am one with him. So that I am what he is. That's the only way I could ever be made righteous. I want to be joined to Christ. So that I cannot ever be separated from him. I want to be joined to Christ. Because that's the only way I can have life. The only way the branch can have life. Is as if it's joined to the vine. Right? The only way I can have life. Is if I'm joined to Christ. So I say give me Christ. Or else I die. That's what Paul says in verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. 
I don't want to just know some, some doctrinal historical facts about the resurrection of Christ. I don't want to just know some doctrinal ramifications of the resurrection of Christ. I want to experience that. That's what Paul's saying here. I want to experience the life-giving power that raised Christ from the dead. I'm dead in sin. You are too. The only way we can have spiritual life is if God the Holy Spirit gives us life with the same power that it took to raise the Lord Jesus from the dead. Now I want to, I want to experience that so that I have life. I want to know that I have the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know that when Christ suffered, he suffered for me. I suffered in him so that I'm free from the law. I'm free from condemnation of the law. I already died in Christ. And I need to be given spiritual life with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's not just, you know, theological talk, you know, that only, you know, theologians can understand. I want to experience that power, don't you? So I have life, spiritual life. Spiritual life can only be given to sinners like you and me for the same reason that Christ was raised from the dead. Christ suffered and died. Why? It's for sin in me. It's for sin because he was made guilty of the sin of his people. Why was he raised from the dead? Because that sin's gone. Put away under his blood. The only way you and I can have life is if we have this fellowship of his sufferings that when Christ died, he put our sin away so that the Holy Spirit must give us life because Christ took the reason for our death away. I want to be joined to Christ so that I have life because he was sacrificed for my sin. Oh, I want that. Now, that's not just religion, is it? That's a vital living union with Christ. That's the only way I can be righteous. That's the only way I can live. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. The only way I could be made righteous is if Christ traded me his righteousness for my sin. That he would made sin for me. That he would do such an amazing thing that human language can't express it. That he would be made sin for me. So that I would be made righteous. Not just given righteous, not just given a legal righteous standing, but made the righteousness of God in him. I can only have that in Christ. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. Right, number two, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Give me Christ's blood or else I die. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know, that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now I need to be redeemed from my sin. You do too. Our sin is an astronomical, infinite debt, an infinite sin debt against God. And there's nothing valuable enough to pay the price. 
Accept the blood of Christ. Accept his precious blood. The perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfection of his person, that makes his blood so precious. There's none other like it. It's the only sinless blood that's ever been on in this planet. All other blood is spoiled by sin. So it can't cleanse us from anything. It can't pay for anything. But the blood of Christ pays for sin. It pays the debt in full because it's precious. It's, pre- it's precious because it's rare. It's the only sinless blood ever. It's precious because it's so valuable. It's the blood of God. That blood pays the debt of all of the sin of all of his people. It's the only way their sin can be paid for. I say give me Christ or else I die. Now again, I don't want to just know about the blood of Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to be washed in his blood. I want to know that when he shed his blood, he shed it for me. I hope that we don't get over familiarity talking about the blood of Christ's sacrifice. We talk about every single message, every single message. What a precious act that this was. That the Son of God would sacrifice himself to put away the sin of people who hate him, who sinned against him, who are running from him, trying the best they can to get as far away from him as they can. And he sacrificed himself and shed his blood, his life's blood that required him to die so that they, their sin would be paid for and put away. That's such a precious thing. That's such a loving act. Oh, I need him. Oh, how I, it's not just one. I mean, I do want him. I need him. Give me Christ or else I die. And sin is more than just a violation of the rules. Sin is a disease. It's a defilement of soul. I can't pay my debt and I can't cure my disease. I can't cure this filth that is in me. I'm defiled through and through. But there's one hope. There's one hope for a diseased sinner. It's the blood of Christ. Look over at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The only way my sin can be cleansed, the only way my soul can be made white as snow, and God won't accept me if I'm not white as snow, is by being washed in the precious blood of Christ. So I say, Give me Christ or else I die. I need my sin to be taken away from me. I need this awful load to be lifted off of me, taken away from me. That's what I need. 
Do you need that? Well, I can tell you this. The motions of religion won't do it. Going through all the motions of religion you want. You can... All the motions. Just you, you know them all. all the, even all the motions of correct religion. Correct doctrine. Right preaching. Even going through all that. That won't take this heavy load off of you. The Jews, under the Old Testament Mosaic law, they had all the right motions of religion, didn't they? They had sacrifices. They had the priesthood. They had the holy days. They had all these things. They had the prophets. Most of them were still lost. So God said, most of them are still lost. Having the correct motions of religion didn't do anything for them. Those sacrifices that they offered year by year continually, they never made the comers there too perfect. And you know why it didn't? Because they were offering animal sacrifices that are just pictures of Christ and they trusted the picture and hated the person. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Well, that's what I need. That I don't want the blood of bulls and goats, do I? Because it's not possible their blood could take away my sin. But the blood of Christ takes away the sin of his people. By one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. His blood took away the sin of his people. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. All right, thirdly, look at Romans chapter 9. Romans 9. Give me Christ. Give me his love. Or else I die. Romans 9 verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved. But Esau have I hated. Now God says he hated Esau. How did Esau wind up? Well, he wound up very, very rich in the things of this life, didn't he? But Esau also ended up a reprobate. God sent to hell. Then there's Jacob. God says he loved Jacob, but Jacob never gave God any reason to love him. Jacob was a scoundrel from the beginning. He hardly did anything right his whole life long, including after the Lord revealed himself to Jacob. Jacob never did do anything to deserve any good from God, did he? I mean, this guy, bless his heart, he just, I mean, he couldn't seem to stay in a straight line for nothing, could he? But God blessed Jacob with every spiritual blessing that he has. God calls himself the God of Jacob. Maybe more than any other title God took to himself in Scripture. I'm the God of Jacob. Despite hardly ever doing anything right, at the end of his life, when Jacob was an old, old man, you know what he said? God has shepherded me my whole life long. God's fed me. God's provided for me. God's led me. God's comforted me my whole life long. I was the sheep that loved to wander like we just sung. And he never let me. He shepherded me, stayed with me my whole life long. And when Jacob died, this is the man God loved when Jacob died. You know what happened to Jacob? Jacob went to be with the Lord. Genesis 49 verse 33 says that Jacob was gathered unto his people. 
Well, who are his people? Abraham and Isaac. Where were they? In glory. So was Jacob. You know why? God loved him. The only difference between Jacob and Esau is the love of God. It's the only difference. The love of God made the difference between being saved and lost, between heaven and hell, between life and death. The love of God made the difference. So I say, give me Christ or else I die. See, I must have, I must have the love of Christ. If Christ loves me, he's going to feed me. Spiritually, he's going to feed me and lead me and guide me. That's pictured in Mark chapter 6. In verse 34, it says, Jesus came out and he saw much people. And when he saw all those people, you know what scripture says? He was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. And since he was moved with compassion for them, you know what he did? He sat down and taught them many things. If Christ has compassion for you, love for you, he's going to teach you many things. He's going to teach you the scriptures. He's going to teach you how God saves sinners. He's going to teach you. And when the Lord got done teaching them many things, you know what he did? Since he was moved with compassion for them, you know what he did? He performed the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and he fed them. He fed them. There are plenty to go around. When the Lord loves his people, he's going to feed them. He's going to feed them himself. He's going to feed them the bread of life. He's going to feed them on the rich things of the gospel. I say, give me Christ or else I die. Look back at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If the Lord loves me, he's going to give me life. If he loves me, he's going to give me life from the dead. Luke chapter 7, verse 12. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the bier, the casket. They that bare him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. If the Lord loves me, has compassion on me, on you, he's going to give life. He's going to give life. Oh, and here's a big one. If Christ loves me, he sacrificed himself for my sin. I want you to think about that now. Why did he sacrifice himself for the sin of his people? Bob's because he loves them. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he said, you're my friends. You're my friends. I'm laying down my life for you. Oh, give me Christ or else I die. And then Christ's love for his people. You know, that's going to be the theme of the song of heaven. Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us. And since he loved us, he washed us from our sin in his own blood. Now that's going to be the, the song of heaven. 
I'm going to start singing it now. Don't you? Give me Christ or else I die. Then number four, give me Christ's presence or else I die. You know, this world is a hard, hard place to live. Every son of Adam, believer and unbeliever alike, we've got to endure the effects of sin, the effect of sin in our bodies, the effect of sin in the world around us. And on top of that, the believer has to endure the hatred of this world, being misunderstood by this world. The believer has to go through trials and troubles that are sent by the Lord only to his people. The Lord's going to send those things to his people. The writer of the Hebrews says, if you're without chastisement, you're a bastard, not a son. God sends these things to his people. So every believer endures them. Look at Isaiah chapter 43. Now that's just a fact of life. How difficult it is to live in this world, especially for a believer. That's just a promise to you. Well, what's our only hope of comfort as we go through this hard, hard, hard veil of tears? What, what's our only hope of comfort? It's the presence of the Lord. Isaiah 43, verse 1. For now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. And he doesn't say fear not because I'm going to keep you from having trouble. He says fear not for I've redeemed thee. I've called thee by thy name and thou art mine. He doesn't say you won't have trials. He says you will. When you pass through the waters, here's your comfort. I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, he didn't say you won't have to walk through the fire. He said you will walk through the fire, but here's your comfort. Thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou hast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I've loved thee. Therefore I'll give men for thee, and people for thy life. So you fear not. I am with thee. That's why we fear not. That's our comfort, his presence. I'm with thee. I'll bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. No matter where you go, no matter where you find my people, I'll be with you. And I'll bring you. If you're a believer, you're going to find this out. You can do without a lot of things in this life. You can do without a lot of things. But you cannot do without the presence of the Savior. You cannot. You go start to go through a trial. And you'll think to yourself, I can't do this. I can't endure it. I cannot do this. And you're right, you can. But you'll find comfort even in the midst of that furnace because the Lord's with you. He goes with you even to the midst of the furnace, even into the depths of those deep waters. It's His presence that comforts the heart. That's why our brother Newton wrote, when Jesus no longer I see, here's what happens. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers, they all lose their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. 
That's what happens when I don't have the presence of the Savior. But our brother went on to say that when I do have a sense of his presence, December's as pleasant as May. January even is as pleasant as May. If I have his presence. And prisons do palaces prove that Jesus would just dwell with me there. If I just have his presence. His hopeless and vain without him. But there's comfort from my heart. If he gives us his presence. Oh give me Christ. Or else I die. The Lord's presence is so precious to the hearts of his people. We must have it and it is our constant cry. David wrote Psalm 51 verse 11. Whatever else you do to me, cast me not away from thy presence. And don't take thy Holy Spirit from me. Whatever else you do, don't take your presence from me. Don't cast me away. Give me Christ. Or else I die. And here's the last thing. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Give me. A commitment. To Christ. Or else I die. John 6. Verse 65. The Lord. Has been preaching himself. To this large group of people. They've been following him. And this is how he ends it up. Verse 65, he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. God is sovereign in salvation. Now they heard what he was saying. From that time, many of his disciples went back and followed, walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. I mean, this multitude, the multitude, and they all left. And there's just twelve. One of them's, one of them's a reprobate. Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now give me a commitment to Christ. Like Peter expressed right there. That's what I say. You know, the only people who will be crowned are those that finish the race. And I tell you how you finish the race. It's being like all of our brethren, Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith. The way we finish the race is staying faithful to the end. Dying in the faith. If I quit before I die, all that tells you is I never knew Christ in the first place. I think about this thing of commitment. Where does it start? Well, it starts with the Lord's commitment to me. He has been so committed. He chose me before he created anything. He loved me when I was unlovable and knew what I'd be. He came in the flesh, which was awful enough for the Son of God to humiliate himself to come in the flesh. And then he sacrificed himself for the likes of me. I was a rebel who refused to listen and he called me anyway. I was dead and he gave me faith in Christ anyway. And he's the one who will keep me to the end. 
That's commitment. It, I haven't given him any reason to be committed to me. He, that's just because it's his, his nature to be. He's committed. Now I know. I know this. If I'm kept to the end, it's because God did it. I know that. But I want to be committed to him. I want to be committed to him in return. In response to his love for me. In response to his sacrifice for me. In response to his glorious person. I want to be committed to him. And be committed to never leave him. Just like what Peter said. I want this to be my confession. Lord I'm not going anywhere. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? I know the Lord's not going to let me go. I know that. No man can pluck them out of my hand. I understand that. But I don't want to be trying to jump out either. I don't want to just always be trying to leave. And he's got to just. You know, hold me back. I don't want that. I want to be committed to him. I want to latch on to Christ and be like Jacob of old and say, I won't let you go. I will not let you go. And I want to be committed to the gospel of Christ. I want to be committed to him. I want to be committed to his cause. I want to be committed to his gospel. I don't want to just give mental agreement that this is true. I want to be committed to the gospel so that I need it. I need to hear the gospel preached. I want to be committed to Christ so that I need to be in the public worship service. I want to be committed to his people so I'm there where they're at. I'm there where they're at, worshiping together with them. I want to be so committed to the gospel that I'll do whatever it takes to help you. I want, I'll do, I want to be so committed to the gospel, I'll do whatever it takes to preach the gospel to my generation. And that's not just me as the preacher now, the pastor, that applies to everybody. I want to be so committed to the gospel that we as a group are I mean utterly committed to this. Let the world know the glory of Christ our Savior. We won't turn over and read this, but Philemon, I think he's a good example of this. Paul, when he wrote to him, talked about the how the, the bowels of the saints are refreshed by you. Every, everywhere you everywhere the saints go, you're you know, you're being you're kind to them, you're hospitable, you reach out to them. The, the bowels of the saints are refreshed by you, brother. Why do he do that? He's committed to the gospel. He's committed to the cause of Christ and committed to his people. I want that commitment. I know it won't make me more saved, but I want to be committed to this thing. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, chapter 4, verse 5, and he said, he's talking about when he first came and preached to him. He said, I bear you record, if it had been possible, you'd have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, that's commitment, isn't it? That's commitment. How many of you sat under Brother Henry would have plucked off your own ears and given it to him if you could? There's a commitment there, isn't it? It's a commitment. Look at First John chapter 3. I want to be committed to you. Now tell you how I'm going to do it. By showing you my love. For Christ's sake. First John 3 verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. You want to know the love of God. Here's how you know it. 
because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how can the love of God dwell in that man? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Because I'm committed. I want to show my love for you. Because you're God's people. I'm committed to this thing. I'm committed to the cause of Christ. So I say one more time. Give me Christ. Or else I die. Let me know him and love him so that I'm committed to him and his cause. If God gives me that kind of commitment, it just might be God used me to be a help to his people. And to be an encouragement to some poor lost sinner to come to Christ. Give me Christ or else I die. Well, that's been on my heart so much. I enjoyed studying those things and I, I pray it will be a blessing to you too. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for Christ our Savior. How can we even begin to praise him and extol him as he ought to be praised and extolled? He is everything that we need. He's everything that you require of us. He's everything the hearts of your people desire. Father, it is our cry. Give us Christ or else we die. Father, I pray that you'd be pleased in your power and your mercy and your grace to lay hold on each heart here this morning and enable us to leave here clinging Christ our Savior. Father, it's for His glory and for His sake we pray. Amen. All right. Sean, come lead us in a closing hymn if you would.